0: This is Archive Atlanta, episode 189, listener Q&A, volume four. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So this month marks four years of podcasting, which is just crazy to say. And when I started this, I thought I was going to run out of topics so quickly. And yet here we are, 189 episodes in, and I have yet to talk about MARTA, highways, the 96 Olympics, and about three quarters of our neighborhoods. Not to get too sappy, but this has been the most rewarding experience of my adult life, other than, you know, family and kids and stuff. And the people I have met, the places I've toured, the stories I've heard, they have truly made me a better human being. I've acquired this long list of what I call internet friends that I've talked to for months, even years, and I've gotten to meet some of you in person, um, whether it's on a tour or just like walking around Atlanta. Most recently, this like phenomenon is that like people recognize my voice out in the world when I'm just doing like walking or I'm at a festival, and it is never not going to be the weirdest and yet most flattering experience. I sincerely thank you all for the listens, for the follows, for the emails, for the DMs, for sharing it with your family, friends, or neighbor, and for really making my dreams come true. The dream that I could make something to connect people with places or people or events that have shaped Atlanta's history. This week, I thought I would celebrate with another listener Q&A, the fourth one I've tried, and I got some great questions. As I've done in previous episodes, I'm going to attempt to like categorize them into a little group. So first, we have some very general podcast questions, then some more specific Atlanta questions, some procedural questions, and then ending with one of my favorite ones, which is like, what are the five demolished places I would bring back? To start things off, someone asked, would you make a documentary or a visual counterpart to the podcast? And this is my default answer to all these questions. Um, and I always say when I win the lottery, uh, especially since I started a new job in March, some weeks this podcast only gets done by a sheer miracle and I'm recording in my bedroom or in the basement or like hiding in a closet. And so the, the thought of like having to look presentable and have makeup on or something and then just adding another medium that I have to edit. I don't think I could handle it. I have done some things on video. So I did like an online TV show like a year or two ago at this point. And I was actually just in a documentary that uh, is being made for the Microsoft development. And I love it. I think that stuff is so much fun. I definitely have like talk with my hand issues. So in every video, I'm like flailing about. Um, But it's something that I'm enjoying and kind of more waiting for that stuff to come to me, I guess, than I'm starting it from a podcast perspective. Someone asked, have I ever considered episodes on places like Capeville or Chamblee or Marietta? And so to clarify, I want to do everything inside the perimeter, inside 285. So that includes the far edges like Capeville, East Point, College Park, Scottsdale, Um Those are all included. And I will most definitely do an episode about Stone Mountain, even though that's technically just outside. But the can of worms that I don't want to open is going outside of the perimeter because if I do an episode about Marietta, you know, why not an episode about every other suburban Atlanta town or city? And there's just a lot of logistical reasons, so I don't have the time. I also feel like it's kind of another podcast altogether, and then I'm not really comfortable doing an episode about a place that I've never really explored. So there's just some places like I don't have the time or the access to get to that level of, I guess, comfort or, you know, familiarity. Um, But even let's say Marietta, Marietta needs its own history podcast. Like there could be just like Archive Atlanta, there could be a podcast about every single town or city. So I'm not gonna do it right now, unless again, I win the lottery. But if you live in those places and you wanna do it, then reach out to me and I will help you as much as I can. Next question is, where does your research start once you've picked a topic? So it depends, episode topics come from two places. So it's it first thing is like I think of a topic, like let's say Marta, and then I start my research from there, and then sometimes I'm researching something like let's say Marta, and I come across just a weird mention or something kind of strikes me and then I write it down and I follow that rabbit hole. Either way, the very first thing that I'm gonna do is outline. So if, let's say I'm talking about roller skating, I try to briefly cover the origin and the early history in let's say the world or even the US or even Georgia. And normally that stuff is like a quick internet search, you know, even a Wikipedia can help me. But once I get into the Atlanta part of the story, I have kind of like a little process. So first thing is, did anybody write a book about this? And then has anyone written a thesis about this or maybe a research paper about it? Um, I always check the digitized archives, either the History Center, GSU, or the AUC, then it's newspaper. So then after that, I'm kind of diving into the newspaper archives to see what I can find with keyword searches. Someone else asked, for some homes that you post, do you know if they are for sale? So I don't typically know or care, I guess, if a house is for sale, unless it's a really famous historic house that hits the news because it's on the market. So something like the Rufus Rose House, or, you know, like one of those very popular ones. I think all of us, you know, history people in Atlanta are aware when one of those houses is on the market. Once in a while, a realtor will actually ask me to research a house for like a client gift. And so sometimes just I have that and I've completed it. And so I'll just do a post about the house later on or, you know, maybe after it's been purchased. Um, So there's no like, I guess I, I don't definitely don't want to ever turn what I do especially the Instagram or Facebook into some kind of ad for houses for sale but if I just happen to know it's on the market when I post about it I will mention it okay next one is what's your go-to resource for finding old maps of Atlanta This depends on what kind of maps you're talking about. Sanborn fire maps are what I use the most often in my research. The Library of Congress has the 1911 Atlanta maps publicly available. And then if you have an academic login to ProQuest, you can also access the 1890s, the 1920s, and the 1930s Atlanta Sanborn maps. If you're looking for plat maps, first you have to follow Platlana on Instagram. Um, I don't know where they find these magical plat maps. But they are beautiful. If you would like some lesser quality plat maps, uh, the Georgia Superior Court Clerks Cooperative Authority, um, it's the GSCCCA, that is a website that requires a subscription, also looks like it was coded in 1992, but you can search all of the recorded plat maps in in every county of the state of Georgia. So it's also the the searchability is questionable. um, And I'm not going to pretend that I've not spent like a bored day here and there just flipping through the plat plat maps in order. Any other map, you can usually find them in different archives. So Library of Congress, again, the Atlanta History Center has some really great ones. Um, The library, Georgia library, I'm going to mess up what that is, but, you know, kind of just maybe searching what what you're looking for is going to help you find it. What are the best ways to research a property? The million dollar question. I get this question all the time. It is such a long and complicated answer. So I'm going to try to answer it here. There is no good one way to do it. Yes, this person asked, like, oh, is deeds. Yes, you could order an extended deed search for your house. I think it's like $400. And you could also visit the deeds and records room of your respective county. But I've learned from someone that tried that it, there's no one there to help you. So you just kind of, you're, at, you're, you're on your own. It's a little bit confusing. It's hard to navigate. So I suggest um, a couple things. Definitely start with the Atlanta History Center. They have lovely archivists. they are there to help you. they can help you pull sandboard maps and building permits and then you can even use their um, newspapers.com subscription on their computers. So if you have the time, you know it should only take you one day. you want to email them with your home address and then they can have everything ready for you. Now to research your house or building from home really requires access and subscriptions and half of them are usually only for academics, which, You know, it's another soapbox for another day. Um, But that's why it's so hard to explain. I've talked about this before. All addresses changed in 1926 or 1925, 26. So if you have a house that's older than that, you have to know that original address first. And then determining that address, if you're not on the 1911 Sanborn map, it's just like a comedy of errors. You're like using digital, you're using the directories, you know, you're guesstimating, you're hoping that maybe the 20s maps have the old number on it. It's, it's just not a simple thing. So if you're out there you want to know about your house, always feel free to ask me, but definitely try the Lynn History Center. This is a fun question. Why is Ormwood Park called park when there isn't a park called Ormwood? <laughs> so Ormwood Park, the neighborhood The story of it starts with the Riverline streetcar, which was laid in 1891, and then the neighborhood is developed in 1892 by A.J. Orm. So that's how you get the name Ormwood Park. Now, the park part was just the really popular trend for neighborhood naming, and I'm going to list the many neighborhoods in Atlanta that are named park, so get ready. Grove Park, Grant Park, Ansley Park, Home Park, Berkeley Park, Atkins Park, Candler Park, Inman Park, Lennox Park, Benteen Park, um, Adair Park, Adams Park, Chosewood Park. There's more I missed, but only about three of those neighborhoods actually have park space, like an actual park in them. So it, it was really not, there wasn't like a conspiracy, like it was just fancy to, you know, have the neighborhood be called park. All of these other neighborhoods are similar time frames, and so that's why it's called that. Have you ever read or used as a source the book called Where Peachtree Meets Sweet Auburn? Uh, Of 1000%. So this is one of the first Atlanta history books that I read. It most certainly kickstarted my love of the city's history, probably led me on the path that I'm on. Um, And everybody that reads this book, it feels the same way. It's a very magical book. And I, you know, I started doing the Sweet Auburn walking tour like seven years ago at this point. So that book definitely helped. You know, I talk about the street. um, I talk about the Dobbs family. I ended up doing an episode about John Wesley Dobbs. So this reminds me, I should probably do a little bit like Atlanta history reading shelf or something because over the years I've really, you know, I've collected a bunch of favorites. But if you're going to start somewhere where Petrie meets Sweet Auburn is a perfect book to start with. So someone else asked, how do you figure out where segregation lines were? So, and this is in response, um, I was doing the Moseley Park episode, I think, you know, talking about Chapel Road and uh, Westview Drive, and there's no perfect answer. So it's not like they advertise it on a map, you know, like this big red line, this is it. You're going to find out two places. So one of them is books on the subject. There are many books about Atlanta's racial residential zoning history, um, the one by Leanne Lands, and the, I'm forgetting another one, um, but even things like color of law, like even if it's not Atlanta specific or there's only a little piece about Atlanta in it, I think that those are helpful. The second thing you're going to want to do is if you're in the newspaper archives is just play around with your keyword searches. So sometimes we don't talk in the same manner as people did, you know, 70, 80 years ago. So, you just kind of have to think of what it might have been called, like dividing line or boundary line, or like I'm not, it's not coming to me right now, but things like that in combination with maybe your neighborhood name or a street you're thinking about. That's probably going to lead you closer to where you want to go. Also, Black Press is always going to talk about that more than White Press. How did Atlanta become the Emerald City? Was there early tree protection? So someone asked me about tree canopy stuff um, way back in episode 84, actually. And it was super fascinating. So I'm going to share it again. Um, I first heard a story that Atlanta has so many trees because during the Civil War battles, bullets got stuck in them and then like they couldn't use them for lumber. And that's a very magical, happy story, I guess. Um, but it's it's not really that true. In an 1870 Constitution article, it actually says, quote unquote, the need for shade trees in Atlanta is glaring. And it goes on to complain about why we can't be like some northern cities, you know, who are planting large trees. Um, and so we don't have to wait for the tiny saplings to grow. If you look at the few photos we have from post-war Atlanta, it was pretty bleak. It's like the homes, businesses, and lots of trees were gone. But by 1948, Atlanta is referred to as the City of Trees. So it kind of seems like a later push. Um, And then into the mid-70s, we start enacting ordinances and creating groups to protect trees. So by 1973, Atlanta's tree canopy was 65%, but locals were really worried about the destruction. So whether it was like construction and development or just disease. And so in 1975, there is a tree preservation group that started and then Trees Atlanta began in 1985. And so I think today's stats, and again, this was a year or two ago, we are about 47% tree canopy in the city, which makes us one of the top three um, most tree canopy cities in the country. So someone who lives out um, in Bolton, Riverside, near the Chattahoochee, said that um, glass is kind of coming out of the ground when trees grow and they were wondering if there was a bottling plant nearby. So this is a, I mean, I'd have to really research because there were some interesting things out there. There was a broom factory, there was an ice plant, um, and lots of interesting stuff out there in Bolton and Riverside. But the most common reason you might be seeing this is that that was a trash heap. (laughs) Early garbage was just thrown outside or buried. And so if you are finding things like that, um, things like glass that are going to, you know, survive for a century... That's maybe more of an answer. Uh, and I was talking to somebody who lived in Garden Hills, but like around the back of Frankie Allen Park, and of course that's where Bagley Park was. If you listen to that episode, and she didn't, she didn't know about Bagley Park, and she's like, "Oh, well, that explains it, because you know, at the base of my yard, we basically just get a bunch of glass and stuff like that getting pushed up when it rains." So. That's my unofficial answer. I think I have to have a little bit more research. Um, But the first thing to keep in mind is just like, was there, you know, a house in the backyard or is this in the backyard of your house? And like trash heap is probably the most likely answer. Why is Fulton County named for a steamboat guy when it was not a river town? So I appreciate this question because this is a whole drama. Um, Robert Fulton, who's like, the investor or inventor of the steamboat or something, has nothing to do with Atlanta. Like, I don't think he's ever been to Atlanta. Um, But we are apparently named for him, or our county is named for him. And there is a sign at the Fulton County Courthouse that is kind of ambiguous about it. So there has been debate, even from the time of Franklin Garrett, where maybe possibly it could have been named for Hamilton Fulton. He was a British-born civil engineer who actually lived in Milledgeville, at the time was the state capital. I think he lived there between 1825 and 1828. So this is like more likely, but Garrett thought it was Robert Fulton, steamboat guy, and apparently Clifford Kuhn confirmed Garrett's finding. But it's still kind of a thing that I don't know if anyone knows, and maybe it'll remain one of those like Atlanta mysteries that we'll never find out the true story. So someone asked, the most interesting person I've met in this podcast journey and I'm kind of cheating. I'm going to list kind of a a couple people or a group of people. Um, This podcast has introduced me to so many people with niche interests and I have become the biggest champion of that. So I think it really starts with Chief Talbert. Um, The fire department episode is one of the earliest ones. Um, Shout out to the fireman that hooked me up to talk to him and it was – I – I'm so sad still to this day that I didn't have my recording equipment and I couldn't just interview him instead of like furiously taking notes. But I was sitting there, you know, for hours with this man that just knew everything about Atlanta's fire department specifically. And then I get to meet Sarah Butler and she spent years and years and years just researching Asa Candler Jr. And even Mandy, who talked about um, prostitution down on Decatur Street, like dedicating you know, a year or two of her life to just this one era of prostitution in Atlanta's history. And I cannot express to you how important that work is. I just talked to someone the other day too that, you know, I basically, if you tell me you have a niche interest, I will force you to start an Instagram account or some kind of social media. Because there there cannot be one person doing all the things. I'm a generalist, I'm doing 20 minute episodes. There is no possible way I can cover everything. So if there is, you know, you want to do Stairs to Nowhere, one of my favorite Instagrams, like you want to focus on one thing. It's never too small and it's never unimportant. Like niche interest people make the world go round. My favorite question, um, what five buildings in Atlanta's history that are demolished would you resurrect? And this was tough, but I think I did pretty good. So the first one will be Terminal Station. And that's a cliche answer. Again, lots of preservationists still cry about Terminal Station, but for a couple reasons. So if you don't know, Terminal Station used to sit where today the Richard B. Russell Federal Building is. The station opened in 1905, and it was demolished in 1972. And there is a teeny tiny little finial... um, on sam massell's grave in oakland cemetery he was mayor when it was demolished um but aside from being a beautiful building it was really this like gateway to atlanta you know it's like all the train tracks there at the gulch you entered the city and you would arrive at this beautiful station you know it kind of it's what hotel row was developed to serve it's just one of those things like i think the gulch would be that much more magical if terminal station was still there the next one is, and I'm going to mispronounce this, but DeGivs De Opera House. So this is like a very random building from very, very early Atlanta. I think it opened in 1870. But I love the look of it. Like, I don't know how to explain it, but it feels like New Orleans looking. Um, it later became Columbia Theater or the, and then the Bijou Theater. It was also stunning inside and, you know, early connection to opera and the arts. And I think they demolished it in 1921. So again, it's one of very, very old Atlanta thing, but it's something that I really wish would still be standing downtown. All right, next up is maybe cheating, but I'm gonna say the entire Washington Rawson area. So this is a neighborhood that in the mid-1870s is described as the finest residential streets, like on par with the Peachtree Street mansions or the Ponce de Leon mansions. Um, and it's really now the connector and then where Atlanta Fulton County Stadium was. The The reason I would like it to still be here is, especially on prior, it was the center of Jewish life in Atlanta. There was synagogues there. There was the Hebrew Orphans Home, um, the Standard Club, the mansions of all it Jewish Atlanta Um I like if you see sandborn maps of Pryor Street and then you compare it to what it is now, you will cry. That, that is how much I wish we could still see these things and then have like that tangible part of the story left. All right, then I picked the Peachtree Arcade. So I am an A Tanike Brown fan. He is an architect. I probably have talked about this many times. I'm not an architecture, you know, person. I don't know how to describe things. But whenever I fall in love with a building in Atlanta, he is the architect. And I usually find out after the fact. This is like his first design. This is the design that got him the commissions to do the post office and like the other stuff that we know him for today. And this used to stand... Between Petrie Street and Broad Street, like near Five Points, so right in downtown Atlanta. It was finished in nineteen eighteen and it was demolished in nineteen sixty four. Um and, but it in and- arcade is kind of a funny word. It was really a mall. So it was like this early prototype of a mall. And inside were all these stores. It was run by women. They were very women-centered stores. Lots of kind of women's history with this building. Um, lots of World, world War One connections. I think like the YMCA moved in there temporarily. I just really wish this building still existed. And I'm not alone. In 1993, the American Institute of Architects actually named this one of the most notable landmarks to have been destroyed in Atlanta. And for my last choice, also kind of cheating, um, but all of Copenhagen. So right now Freedom Parkway, if you know the story of Freedom Parkway, is supposed to be a lot longer or, you know, they fought against it. And so now it's kind of a two, three, four mile strip um that goes through or to Virginia Highland. But that took out really an entire neighborhood called Copenhill. And so I hear about Copenhill when I'm researching, I read about it and I see the maps on it, but it's one of the places like I would love to see that neighborhood still exists as a neighborhood and then not have this road cutting through everything in the middle. All right, so I have one more question that I forgot about at the very end, and it's a good one. What one nugget of Atlanta's history gives you the most hope for Atlanta's future? I'm gonna say the repetitive nature of our history is sort of comforting. And this may sound like weird logic, but it makes me hopeful that at some point we will try something different. We have had pothole issues since 1890, you know, race relation issues since 1866. um, And we've tried so many things and they're all there. They're all there for us to read. And it never seems to fix the problem. And I think that as we get more connected with history and the internet and all that stuff. We're, we're able to kind of see what we did and try new things. So that is, that's my hope. Maybe a little bit bright eyed, but I think that we now have more information and this information can help us try to get to a different place so we can kind of finally solve our quote unquote problems. So there you have it. Listener Q&A volume four. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you for listening to the podcast and being on this journey with me for four years. Um, I hope everyone has a great weekend and I'll talk to you next week.